CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Bonus time to Ben Jarofsky show. As I speak, it's Wednesday, May 17th, 2023. Here's a headline. This, this, this is a headline buried in the back of the New York Times sports section. So this is probably not a story that my Chicago listeners have seen. I haven't seen it uh, uh, in any of the newspapers. Uh, maybe I missed it anyway. Uh, WNBA suspends coach for comments about players' pregnancy. And um, so WNBA, for my uh, Sports Challenge listeners, is the Women's Professional Basketball Association. I assume no knowledge when it comes to sports on behalf of my listeners. Uh, and the particular player is Diakra Hamby. Uh, and this deals with, follow me on this, ladies and gentlemen, um, the, her allegation that Becky Hammond, the coach, the highest paid coach, I want to say, uh, in the WNBA, and perhaps considered, she's one of the most prominent women coaches uh, in basketball. She was a an assistant for San Antonio, uh, the San Antonio Spurs in the men's league in the NBA. So she's considered like a she. If if a woman gets to be a head coach in the in the NBA, it would be Becky Hammond. She's the number one candidate to break that glass ceiling. I'm not sure it'll ever happen in my lifetime, but they say Becky Hammond uh, would do it. Very, this is, I found this upsetting on many reasons, uh, in many levels. Uh, so uh, her team, the, Ve- the Vegas Aces, traded Hamby to the Los Angeles Sparks in January, just months after they um, the Aces won a championship, and Hamby signed a contract extension. At the time, Hamby wrote on her Instagram that an unnamed person had made disgusting comments. She had been falsely accused of signing a contract extension when she knew she was pregnant and that she was told she was being traded because, quote, I wouldn't be ready and we need bodies. Eventually, it turned out that the allegation was directed at Hammond. Let's think about this, ladies and gentlemen. It's 2023. This is the women's league. This is the women's league. Now, I would think... I realize, put aside MAGA. No, I, I actually think MAGA may be ahead of this. 
uh, well, maybe not MAGA. Put aside MAGA out of this equation. In the civilized world, I thought we had reached a situation where like getting pregnant did not mean you had to drop out of the labor force. I, I thought we moved beyond the notion that getting pregnant didn't mean you were forever, I don't know, putting aside your career ambitions. You know, that notion, that canard, that prejudice have been used against women in the workplace for years and years and years. That if you got to choose between the mother track and the professional track, and an excuse used by so many corporate leaders as to why they don't hire women or promote women. Well, they get pregnant and that's it. You lost your investment in them. Like they're machines. Like they're already AI robots. I, I was really, I have to tell you folks, I was very disappointed with this story that the WNBA in 2023 would have this attitude and it would be coming from Becky Hammond, who's like the number one coach in the WNBA, the highest paid coach in the WNBA. The WNBA, the league itself, did an investigation and apparently corroborated uh, the uh, comments because uh, they suspended her for two days. Curiously enough, the Aces, talk about a team that's like sort of in denial, say uh, they're committed to supporting players and deeply disappointed by the outcome of the investigation. The WA's determinations about Becky Hammond are inconsistent with what we know and love about her and that she forges close personal relationships with her players. Well, it's got to be one or the other, Aces. That is the worst investigation. It's got to be one or the other. Like if they wrongly suspended her and she didn't do it, you shouldn't just be accepting the punishment. You should be showing what evidence you have that undercuts what they say. I think you're just defending her because you're committed to paying her a million dollars a year and you don't want to punish her. It just looks terrible and uh, very antediluvian. Uh, and then the article, it's a very interesting article in the New York Times. I urge everybody to check it out because it's, it's not just women's basketball where this is an issue track and field allison felix a 14-time olympic medalist uh, she lost her sponsorship with nike after she got pregnant back in 2019 yeah nike didn't put that in the movie air that's for sure uh and then this one was also disturbing the greatest tennis player of all time uh serena williams uh, after she got pregnant, she uh, dropped out of the tournament for a while. She was dropped from 4,400, excuse me, from number one ranking to 451. When she came back, she was 451. It was like they punished her in the ranking systems for getting uh, pregnant. It's like we've moved ahead, but we haven't moved ahead. And we're doing this, by the way, in the midst. I'm going to just give a shout out to unions. We're doing this in the midst, by the way, of the, um, the writers on strike. I'm with you writers 100%. I'm sure my distinguished guest is with the writers as well. I got a feeling she is. And it's like unions have never been in many ways, in my humble opinion, more important than they are now. Like when professional basketball players, the greatest women basketball players uh, in the world are subjected to this kind of nonsense, when the greatest tennis player ever is subjected to this kind of nonsense, uh, it's clear that it's just an unfair uh, labor world in many ways. Uh, and um, 
The workers have to unite, in my humble opinion. All right, without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce herself. We have a whole bunch of things we want to talk about. So introduce yourself, distinguished guest. I'm Ramana Hussein. I'm a member of the Sun-Times edi- editorial board and a columnist at the newspaper. Yes, and a dear friend of the show. Uh, and since you mentioned the Sun-Times, Ramana, I know um, you join me in this one. I want to give a shout out to all my brothers and sisters at the Chicago Sun-Times. God bless you. Nader Issa, you are the man. Uh, the Chicago Sun-Times Union, speaking of unions, I negotiated a deal, a historic three-year contract. I have the press release for right here. Uh, and, uh, so I'm feeling you guys, uh, you got yourself a raise, you got yourself some more job protection. I know like all newspapers, it's been a turbulent, (laughs) what turbulent 30 years or so, uh, Ramana in the business, but, uh, Nader, Lauren Fitzpatrick, Tommy Shuba, uh, shout out, uh, and all the other union activists. I hope I'm, I'm just rattling those off the top of my head. Uh, from my memory of the press release. Congratulations. I'm sure you absolutely earn it. Uh, and I say this as a daily subscriber to The Bright One. Every day it arrives. So uh, congratulations, one and all. I, I know you agree with me in that one, right, Romano? Yeah, yeah. I'm really, I mean, I was a member of the union for a really, really long time. But once I went full-time um, as an editor, um, I no longer was a member of the union. But I know this is a long road Um for a long time coming and a long road for all my brothers and sisters at the Sun Times, and I'm very happy for them too. It's 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 good news for the paper, and it's good news for my colleagues. Yeah, and uh, it's the young ones. The young are leaving the leading the old, and I'm saying this as a boomer. Nader Issa, Tommy Shuba, uh, it's the young reporters out there who are just leading the way uh, for the future. So God bless millennials, one and all. Um, all right. Uh, let's get down to business. Um, I guess we'll start local. Uh, new mayor in the city of Chicago, uh, the 57th mayor, uh, sworn in on Monday, Brandon Johnson, a mayor uh, elect uh, when, the, when the day began, and he was officially mayor uh, when the day ended. I was not there at the UIC uh, basketball arena to watch it, Romana, but I have watched it twice. <laughs> 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 wow, that's dedication. Twice. That's dedication. I actually watched it. Um, I watched Brandon Johnson give his speech. Um, I probably didn't sit. I didn't sit for the whole thing. I watched the live stream on one of the television news stations. And uh, when Brandon Johnson came on, I turned the volume up and watched his speech. Um, and I think I watched the um, the city council members um, be inaugurated because there was that was I think right before he spoke. So. No, I didn't watch it twice like you. I wasn't that dedicated of a news person. I just watched it once, and I think that was enough for me. I watched it uh, twice. And I actually, you mentioned the alderman. Uh, there's so many parts of the uh, the ceremony I really enjoyed. Uh, it, but um, I think pound for pound, my favorite part, which I talked about yeah, in the show with I did with Carlos Ramirez Rosa, but pound for pound, my favorite was when they did the roll call. So uh, the clerk of uh, Valencia does the roll call of all the aldermen because it, it was it was actually a special meeting of the city council convened uh, to uh, transfer power from Lori Lightfoot to uh, Brandon Johnson. And so when she did the roll call, it was like a high school graduation because people in the audience started cheering or booing. 
You know, in high school graduations, they always go, hold your applause to the end. You know, they want, but they didn't do that here. So all these, it was all lefties in the room. So the lefties, that's probably why I liked it so much, Romana. So all the lefties were like cheering, yeah, lefty alderman. And then when it's a conservative alderman like Ray Lowe, Ray Middle, boo. <laughs> yeah, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't sure if I heard boo. I was just like, wait, was that a boo? Because I, I did hear some of that. I, I did. I, so I did see some of that. Um, for me, it was like, it was um, interesting to see the diversity of the city council. Um, which we haven't seen in years. You know, the city council looked totally different before the last couple, you know, ever since I was a kid, I, the city council was pretty much white. And yeah, there was, there was definitely black aldermen, but it's a lot more diverse than it was like many years ago. I think it's the most diverse city council we've ever had. So I thought that was, that was pretty cool to watch. And, you know, it, yeah. it, and it had a lot of like, you know, we had the, we had Native Americans performing. We had, um, you know, a lot of uh, black um, Chicagoans performing. And, you know, we've definitely had that in the past, but we haven't had that many. You know, we probably did for Lori Lightfoot, but I'm just saying that I think the diversity was something that struck out for me. And uh, to be fair, I didn't want I don't remember Lori Lightfoot's inauguration. I could have been working on something else at the time. So that could have been just as diverse because that was a historical moment in time too, um, being the flag, first black female um, mayor, openly gay mayor. So um, I don't know. I, I thought it was uh, it was a I'm sure it's like it was a time of hope, I think. I mean, I know there's a long road ahead of us and there's going to be a lot of challenges ahead, but. I think it was, I think it was, um, I think everybody in Chicago, uh, obviously not everybody, but everybody's just hoping for the best. You would think that anybody from Chicago would hope for the best with the new mayor. Uh, by the way, I was at Lori Lightfoot's inauguration four years ago, and uh, out of curiosity, Ravana, I went back and read the column I wrote related uh, to the uh, inauguration, and um, I'm a little embarrassed to admit um, I don't know if you ever do this. You go back and read old articles or old columns and you're like, oh my God, that's how I viewed the world then. Uh, that I was hopeful. <laughs> but it's like, it's With a good Lori thing. Lightfoot. It's a good thing to be hopeful, right? Uh, than to be negative. I mean, it's a new chapter. I mean, you know, Brandon <laughs> Johnson's not going to do everything per perfect. We're talking about that at the editorial board meeting. And, you know, he, he signed a couple of things, kind of signed a couple of, um, orders when he was um um after he was in you know after the inauguration or just during the inauguration and i was we were just talking about it at the, on the editorial board and you know he's not going to do everything perfect he just has to be held accountable like everyone else but it's always good to be hopeful that things are gonna you know things are gonna change for the better in the city of chicago you hope for you know just um police reform. There's all these things that needed to be done under Mayor Lori Lightfoot didn't happen. And, uh, you know, elected school board. And so it's like, you hope we take a step forward instead of like staying in one place or just, you know, the conversations keep going between everybody. And you just hope that there's less division, more, you know, people talk about crime, you know, solutions for crime, you know, people just coming together instead of butting heads. So I think it's normal for people to have you know, a feeling of hope when there's a new mayor elected. Um, I don't know if you'd feel the same hope if there was someone else, but um, it's... It, no, I, I had no hope whatsoever. 
when Rahm Emanuel was born in 2011. Yeah, I had no hope whatsoever when he was sworn in again in 2015. In fact, I, I was cursing the citizenry of Chicago for one of the dumbest decisions ever. I still think it ranks. Is it the single dumbest decision the city of Chicago has ever made reelecting Rahm? I'll get back to you on that one, Ramana. I'm not quite sure it's the single dumbest. It, it's not as dumb as the country electing Trump in 2016, in my humble opinion. I am now going to read to you uh, a text that I got um, from a dear friend of mine, someone you know, but I am not going to name the person. I don't know if this person wanted to be named, but we were texting back and forth. Um I'll just tell you that you know this person uh, and um, and get your thoughts about this text. Uh, so um, here, what is it? We were talking about, um, uh, we were talking about Rom and Lori and I, I wrote in the text, uh, was Lightfoot an improvement over Rom? I say, yes. What do you think? And this person responded and I quote, I think so. If Lightfoot had done a couple of things differently and projected more than petty impatience, she would still be mayor. End of quote. Projected more than petty impatience. That is a great line. Uh, I don't know. I would give the person credit who said it. I don't know. Oh, I'm going to give the pronoun. If he would want the credit, uh, but that's a great line. Petty impatience. To me, Romana, that sums up so much of Lori Light, Lightfoot's reign. She was like impatient with people. And there was a pettiness to it. Like, chill out. You know, everybody's not as smart as you. Everybody is not as wise as you. Why don't you just be a little more, you know, patient and uh, just dealing with the great diversity of people in the universe uh things might have worked out better for you had you been a little less what arrogant but uh, your but, thoughts but don't but don't you think that rom was arrogant too i mean and i'm not saying that Lori lightfoot didn't have her flaws um one one thing that was interesting when i did an editorial a couple of days ago on Lori lightfoot um i found a study that said that when women leaders are not seen as likable People are less than willing to go along with their plans. But when men are unlikable, they're seen as unlikable. That doesn't affect the way, you know, their underlings work with them. They'll still be willing to work with them. So I'm not saying that Lori Light, I mean, I definitely agree with you. I think that if Lori Lightfoot's personality was a little different or she worked with, you know, she worked a little differently, um, I think there was a chance that she could have been reelected. But I do think there is. Uh, you know, because of the sexism that's just within our society. You were talking a little bit about, um, you know, the bas the WNBA, and one of the things my husband Mick always says tells me is that the W the NBA is like the most liberal, progressive league of of between all you know between like you know he's comparing it to the Major League Baseball and the NFL. So if basketball is supposed to be the most liberal, and you have women making comments. I'm just saying that, you know, the, the workplace is a workplace and uh, women leaders are seen differently when they have a certain type of personality, because I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Rom might've been a little different in his arrogance, but I think Lori Lightfoot's arrogance was a little different, but I do think that, you know, that sexism sometimes can come to play when sometimes. Unlikable, so 
no, Rahm Emanuel was one of the most unlikable human beings in the history of Chicago politics. Why we elected him the first time, I don't know. Definitely don't know why we reelected him. Uh, and his arrogance was on full display every day. Uh, you're absolutely correct to point out, and Lori Lightfoot is absolutely correct to point out, uh, that things that were viewed as weaknesses or negatives for her were viewed as positives for Daly and Rom. Daly was a big bully, as your husband Mick could tell, because Daly threatened Mick. Uh, and, <laughs> uh, and so absolutely, uh, there's a double standard. But, but, um, but at the same time, that doesn't mean you can't be held accountable as a, a female leader, because she did make mistakes, and they were pretty big mistakes. I mean, or at least she made a lot of promises that, she didn't follow through on or that she totally reneged on, including an elected school board. So a lot of people felt like, you know, she said she was going to do something, even with police reform. She said, oh, yeah, you know, she's going to bring, you know, there was going to be police reform. We had the interim superintendent, Charlie, back there. And then, you know, as soon as she brought in her person, David Brown, like all the things that he said, they got rid of the guy that was in charge of reform. <laughs> so it's like, you know, I think I think for a lot of people, especially, you know, the progressive voters, I think it was a lot of the um, promises that she made that she didn't fall through on. Because, you know, there was a point um, we were talking about this on the editorial board. You know, she did deal with a lot of unprecedented times. I mean, she she happened to be mayor like with when within a year of her being mayor. You know, we had the pandemic, um, the height of the pandemic. And then, you know, George Floyd murder and then the protests. So she did have a lot of challenges. I think a lot of other mayors didn't have. So, she, you know, but there was a time that people, you know, people liked the memes. And, you know, I think she should have took, she should have rode that wave. And then, you know, I think and then, you know, as soon as she was liked, you know, she drew those bridges downtown and that made a lot of people angry. So I'm just saying she she did make mistakes. And just because, you know. Just because like she was held to a different standard, um, I think that's good to call out. But that doesn't mean that she shouldn't be held accountable at all. Because well, I, she, I think during the speeches when she was leaving, you know, it didn't seem like she was and she shouldn't have to apologize. But it wasn't like she she wasn't saying that, you know, oh, OK, I made some mistakes. It, it, it just seemed like she wasn't really that humble, which I'm not saying she has to be. But it was just interesting that, you know. She, well, I, she I'll put it to you this she way. She mentioned, you know, the way she was treated, but. The, um, listen, you, 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 God, there's so much to respond to in what you said, because you covered a lot on that riff. Um, to me, the, the, the greatest, first of all, let's deal with when you wrote, I laugh when you said progressives, because it's really lefties that cared about the broken promises. Okay, lefties. I, I mean, aren't lefties. they the same thing? Okay, fine. You no. think the progressives are the same thing? Progressives, li progressives are what include pretty much everybody in the city of Chicago. Eric Adams, the mayor of New York, calls himself a progressive. It's a word without meaning. They would call themselves liberals, except Republicans made liberal a bad term, so they call themselves progressives. It's a meaning. Rom called himself a progressive. Lori Lightfoot called herself a okay, I think okay, Daly would call the lefty. So the only people who cared that Lori Lightfoot broke her promises about TIFs, about mental health clinics, about elected school boards, were lefties. And she didn't care about lefties. She had utter disdain for them. She hated them almost as much. No one can hate them as much as Rom hated them. And she felt as though she could get reelected without them. And she probably would have. And this is where her um, 
unforced error came in where she alienated Willie Wilson. Single, doublest move she made. Unnecessary. No reason to be so arrogant. And I think that's gets into the ad. I guess what is it called when you have contempt for people who don't have the education you do? I there's a term for it. I don't know what it is. Patronizing, but she had. Well, it is patronizing as all hell. I know, I know what you're saying. I, it's like the equivalent of sexist, but only for someone who doesn't have your education. And she has utter contempt for uh, Willie Wilson. So he showed her. Uh, he ran again and siphoned off the black vote that she needed. Uh, to make the runoff, she would have mopped the floor with Vallis, in my humble opinion. I would have voted for her against Vallis. Uh, and <laughs> complaining every way. Uh, and and the thing about the bridges, this is where the unfairness comes in, Romana. When she raised those bridges, lefties got mad. Downtown was should have been happy, and they turned on her. Downtown, tur- she raised the bridges, and they still, to me, that's just prejudice. That, to me, like, Romana, I would have to put downtown voters on a couch collectively and analyze them like an like I was an analyst. Why did you guys turn against Lori Lightfoot? She did everything you want. She raised the freaking bridges, and you still voted. Help me, Romana. You got to help me. You're you're more of a Chicagoan than I am. <laughs> Please explain to me why I, I will, downtown voters turned I, against. I have her. no idea, but I'm thinking, you know, they. They in Vallis. Um, I don't know if most of them voted for Vallis or Johnson. I'm thinking most of them voted for Vallis, but um, <laughs> I think you know Ballas. they felt like she wasn't tough on crime. It's like she raised the bridges, but then all these you know looters, you know people started you know they're they're attributing some of the unrest to Lori Lightfoot, like she didn't do enough. So it's Lori Lightfoot's fault. Like, you know, that's that's the way, I mean, that's chatter that I saw as soon as Brandon Johnson got elected. Like, oh, if Fallis, you know, now the city's going to go to hell, you know, because Brand, like, you know, it didn't make sense. Like, do people think that if Fallis was uh, mayor and, you know, the George Floyd, the tragedy, George Floyd tragedy happened and people were protesting? And, you know, most of these, one of the things to point out is most of these protests were peaceful. People were upset. But, you know, some of some of the protests kind of like branched off into something else. But I mean, for people to think that if Ballas was mayor, nothing was going to happen. I mean, I don't think they think that, but they thought crime was going to be like so solved. I think I think that they're just not thinking logically. They just think Ballas and no crime. And so I just didn't think they attributed everything to Lori Lightfoot. Like it's Lori Lightfoot's fault. I don't think they looked. I don't know. They probably forgot about the bridges. They probably just remember, like, you know, they probably just remember, like, you know, the crime, the, you know, crime is something that's very important for people, you know, for all Chicagoans to worry about. But they felt like she didn't do enough because there were a lot of a lot more incidents downtown after she became, you know, elected mayor. And there's a lot of reasons for that. You know what I mean? It's like we talk about disinvestment and not enough programs for kids. Then we talk about, you know, the pandemic downtown is I mean, there's more people coming downtown. I go there once a week, but it's definitely looks a lot different. The population and, you know, how many people are coming to work. It's it's definitely different than it was before. So there's just a lot of reasons. And so I think a lot of people put the blame on her. I mean, if crime goes up while Brandon Johnson's, you know, mayor, that's going to be blamed on him, too. It would, I, I, I'm sure the same thing would happen to Ballas was mayor. And crime I, is something that is, you know, it's a very difficult um 
challenge for people to overcome. And it's not one thing. It's a lot of things put all together. And, you know, it's, it's just very comp. I mean, if we were able to solve crime or like make, you know, lower the crime rate or find solutions, we would have got, we would have had it a long time. I mean, nobody really has the actual answer because there's a lot of solutions and they all have to work together. So yeah, I just think that people just put the blame on her. Like, I, I'm just right. thinking about the chatter that I heard about Vallis because it was, you know, the chatter was like, if Vallis is mayor, the city's going to change. There's going to be less crime. That's what I felt like the chatter was with Vallis. Well, I got to tell you, um, if there's a double standard at play, it's on crime. And uh, I lived through the daily years, and I lived through the ROM years, and there was crime in the city of Chicago, and there was crime downtown, and there was incidents where kids came downtown and ran around and scared everybody and got the merchants all upset and got shoppers upset and got old baby boomers like myself upset. And uh, it didn't hit as hard with, uh, with the mayors. And there's a, in my humble opinion, and this is me speaking, not Romana, there is a different attitude that white people have toward crime when it's a black mayor, a liberal black mayor, and when it's a white mayor. And they don't hold the white mayor as accountable as they do the liberal black mayor. And they'll never admit it. They'll deny it. And uh, and I think that was at play, and it worked against Lori Lightfoot. And you could, I could go make a whole list of things she did wrong uh, in her campaign, but she was up against that. Uh, attitude and she still would have won in my humble opinion romana had she not alienated willie wilson you know what I'm <laughs> yeah <laughs> that, that's, that's very possible i mean yeah paul Vallis was kind of touted as a great white hope right that's what he was touted as um i mean read between the lines and and you know when mayor daly was you know and i don't blame all the crime on him either you know i don't think it's one situation but when mayor richard m daly was um in office for all those years, I mean, they're in the nineties, we had a pretty high, uh, crime rate, you know, wave and crime rate. And I don't remember, I was just starting off as a young reporter at the time. I do not remember anybody saying it was Mayor Daly's fault. I, I do never, I don't recall. And like I said, I'm, that was when I was starting my career and, but I don't remember him ever getting criticized for the spike in crimes. No, and and it was. Yeah, I agree with you. And it was the exact opposite. It was like, whew, thank God he's in there, or it'd be even worse. And so you'll never get. This is me speaking again, uh, Naramani. It's like it's really difficult for anybody to look at themselves in the mirror and like evaluate what their thoughts are. And you know, it's considered a weakness in our society. That's maybe why we have so many issues with mental health. Uh, and it's a very contradictory attitude about providing mental health services. But it's particularly hard, uh, in my experience, uh, Ramana, to get uh, wealthy white people just to think about the way the world works, how it benefits them, their attitude about the world. And um, I should probably stop talking. I would just get myself in a lot of trouble with wealthy white people. Um, before we move on, I'm going to say something uh, that have really been on my mind. Uh, you talked about crime, the horrific uh, murder of Ariana Preston, the, p- the police officer. You know, there's so much murder in this city. There's so much crime in the city. There's so much shooting in the city. It's easy to get numb by it. Uh, I did. A, we was talking about this just the other day. I was reading the 
the Sun Times that came in, and it, the, that day Sun Times Romano, there was like four articles about shootings, mass shootings, and it, it was just it was just like a typical day in Chicago. You know what I mean? It wasn't it wasn't treated like huge front page news, but the the, the murder of Ariana Preston is one of those murders that just seems to. It's so painful because she was such a bright, promising human being, and she had dedicated her life to police work. And but she was going to be a different kind of cop, you know what I mean? Yeah, she was, that that was and, a tragedy. I mean, I don't think anybody read that story and didn't feel something. It was so sad. Um, her mom just picked up her. I think she got her master's degree at Loyola University over the weekend, and her mom picked up the diploma for her. I mean, she was just a week from getting her master's and just reading, you know, hearing from her professors. And, you know, she was someone from the neighborhoods, um, you know, where she was serving or at least the areas, you know, where she kind of grew up. And she was all about police reform, just 24 years old. And she said one of her goals was to build that trust that we've lost between the police officers and the black and brown communities, particular, particularly. And it's just like you see these pictures and you just can tell that she was so full of life and so full of hope. So yeah. I think I think it's it's a tragedy. Her funerals today and I, I'm sure it will make the front page news tomorrow. But I mean, it's always sad when you hear about someone dying violently and it's extra sad when it's someone who's particularly young. And then when it's someone who's young and had so much promise or showed so much promise and already was doing the work that we yeah. want to see, it's, it's just a tragedy that's like, you don't know what to say. You're like speechless. And the young, um, the suspects involved were all young. Apparently they're trying to raise, you know, get money for, to have a barbecue. And it's just like what, you know, you have to think like, what are, what's going through their minds. And it, it just, it's just a tragedy overall. And it, I, I, like I said, I don't think anybody in this city, you know, no matter what their political persuasions are looked at this tragedy and not felt something. Well, well, to that point, I have to say, I feel compelled to say this. I spent so many times on this show criticizing Johnny Catanzara, who's the head of Fraternal Order of Police. But Catanzara, you said something, was quoted in the Sun-Times today. So I'm literally tipping my hat. My, uh, Romana sees it. I'm wearing my bull's hat. Uh, for once, you and I just totally see eye to eye in this. He was making comments uh, about Preston, uh, Ariana Preston. He said... A quote, I mean, for a girl with a couple of years on the department to go back and get her master's degree and ha and have that being her main focus, told you she was, a, was on a trajectory to do some great things in this department for this city and was tragically cut short. She was slated for big things. And I think that sums it up. So, John Catanzara, for once, you and I are eye to eye on this. And uh, let's hope there's more instances like that uh, going forward. Um all right. Uh, speaking of Chicago <laughs> as a symbol of problems that we have uh, in our country, um, one of the characters that you and I talked about at great length last show, and I urge everybody, it's truly one of Romana's great <laughs> riffs that she went on. Uh, I titled the show uh, Self-Haters. Uh Vivek uh, Ramaswamy, who is a multi-gazillionaire, multi-millionaire, I should say, a tech guru. He's a young man. He's, I don't think he's 40 yet, maybe 38. 
uh, and uh, has somehow or other found his um, ideology on the far-right MAGA end of the spectrum. He's running for president, never run for any other office before. So he's, again, he made his fortune in tech, uh, and he's running as a Republican, hopes to get the nomination. Uh, and um, he was the one, as we said in the last show, who engaged in a quote-unquote debate with Don Lemon. One thing led to another, and Don Lemon was fired. Uh, and he's coming to Chicago. In my humble opinion, uh, take advantage of the um, dissension that some uh, residents of South Shore have raised regarding the city's proposal uh, to put an asylum seekers uh, center uh, out of South Shore High School, which has been abandoned and vacant for years. Uh, and he's going to try to milk it for all he can uh, to try to, well, I don't know, uh, pit black people against Hispanic people uh, and win recruits to uh, the, the hate party, which is what MAGA has become. Kind of a sickening thing, in my humble opinion, Romana. Your thoughts? Yeah, so um, somebody forwarded, some one of my colleagues forwarded me the email that Vivek Ramaswamy was going to be coming to the South Shore uh, Cultural, uh, South Shore, not, I was going to say South Shore Cultural Center, South Shore High School to for a listening tour. So uh, apparently he's going to listen to what some South Shore residents have to say about the asylum seekers and migrants and others from Latin America who are shipped here by Greg Abbott and about not having them in the South Shore High School, not having them t temporary housed there. Um, and then he's going to go to a barbershop and then he's going to have a press conference. So I was actually, I'm supposed to talk to him. I, I'm just curious as to why he's coming here. Um, he's from, he was born in Cincinnati, Ohio. So I want to know if he's ever been to Chicago and if he's ever been on the South Side, if he's ever been to the South Shore in particular. And, you know, the things that were said at the um, meeting a couple weeks ago, this was, you know, at the, you know, this at one of the South Shore, um, it was at another high school, not too far away from where um, officials were proposing to house the immigrant um, migrants. And, you know, there was a lot of people saying things that I find particularly ugly, things that we would hear MAGA saying, like, we don't care, we don't want them here. Um, build the wall. There was a guy holding a sign that said build the wall. And so for me, it's like, I don't know, I, I'm curious to hear what Vivek has to say, but I'm pretty sure I know what he will say. But, you know, here's someone who was worth 600 million in 2016. I don't know how much he's worth right now. But he has the money. So, you know, there are people in the South Shore, even if I disagree with their, with the way they delivered their <laughs> concern. Um, you know, there's legitimate concerns about, you know, resources not going to the South Side. Um, those are legitimate concerns. But, you know, of course, there are questions. Is Mr. Ramaswamy coming here to play upon that, to, you know, raise the flames? And one of the things that I found interesting, I was just doing some research a few minutes ago, is that um, there are more Indians. There are most people who are at the border are Latin American. But in the last couple of years, there's been a surge of Indian people, people coming from India. They go through this long about way, undocumented Indian immigrants who are coming to the border too. So it's not just Latin Americans. It's a lot of people looking for better lives. And no matter what your stance is on immigration and immigration reform, I just think that, you know, I don't know the way I think, look at it. It's like you have to, you know, if people are sent here 
it's what's happening in Chicago. It's definitely a crisis because we don't have the space, but you have to try to do your best to try to help these individuals. And instead of dividing our community, which, you know, you don't want to see, especially between the people of color here, you have someone coming who's a person of color, also a child of immigrants and, you know, coming here and, you know, wedge using this as a wedge to like increase the, you know, the animosity or whatever, like, you know, you know, I guess, uh, I guess what the question is like, you know, there's always been, you know, the back and forth between, you know, the immigrations and, you know, the black Americans who have been here for a long time and, you know, the jobs, you know, that's one of the things I think Trump kind of played upon. Like he didn't play upon like, oh, look, the black people are doing this, even though he definitely is not very pro-black, but his platform was, look, these people are coming here from outside the Muslim ban, build a wall. It's, it's for me, it's, it's sort of a anti-Brown kind of uh, outcry. And, you know, not every single Muslim is Brown, but that's what the stereotype is. And then, you know, the people coming into this country, you know, undocumented, I mean, there's a lot of undocumented Irish people in this country and Polish people. I've heard of people telling me that their grandparents came here and they're undocumented, or you hear about all these people who are undocumented who are Irish, but nobody really cares about them, right? So it's just this push of like, oh, these are people who don't look like us and don't belong here, who've never been here before, and they're taking over. And I just feel like, I don't know, Mr. Ramaswamy, I'd like to hear what he has to say, but to me, it seems like he's just taking advantage of the situation. And um, if he really does, I, I do want to ask him, like, if he does care about the South Shore community and the South Side of Chicago, I mean, he has a lot of money. If he gives a couple million, he won't be missing it. It's it's not, it's like chump change for him. So he, he, he should invest in the South Side and I'd like to know how much he's invested so far or what sort of resources, resources he's put into place so far. When you... Uh Think about uh, the attitude that you just described that MAGA has expressed, uh, led by Trump for the last seven years, and which uh, uh, Ramaswamy is pick up, you know, and he's taking it to the next step. Uh, and in the in the opposition uh, to, as you put it, brown people, do you think MAGA's antipathy toward an Indian immigrant? is as strong as it is toward, let's say, uh, someone from Mexico or uh, Venezuela or uh, Central American country? Do you sense, like, the way that, that uh, Ramaswamy gets away with it is that he's accepted by MAGA because he is from India? And so it's like, oh, well, they're good immigrants. Yeah, it's a minority myth. It's a minority myth because he's Asian, right? Or he's South Asian. These South Asians excel. So that I think they have less of a animosity towards South Asians, but it depends on what kind of South Asians they are. Um, I'm a South Asian Muslim person, so I don't think they feel the same way about me than maybe some other South Asians who are of different religious persuasions. And if you have a certain attitude, if you are right wing, Oh my God. It's like, you're in, it's like, it's like Candace Owens. You're you're here. We have a black woman who's saying what we want to say, but she's saying it. So we don't have to say it. So I feel like Vivek is doing the job of what many white Republicans want to do. And, 
you know, he's going to be applauded for it. He's going to be like, I mean, there's, I, I, I t- we talked about this, Ben, on the show post 9-11. I mean, the people who got elevated are the people who said stuff or threw our community under the bus. So it's like, they're saying they, people who like, you know, from marginalized groups who say what the majority wants, majority of Americans or not majority of Americans, but what a lot of Americans want to say. I mean, they become superstars. So Vivek, I mean, you know, there's a question of whether he'll become president or not. But I mean, um, I think a lot of Americans will cheer him on for what he has to say, because they'll say like, oh, here's the son of immigrants who is showing us that it's wrong. And, you know, and like I said, you could have a variety, you know, the immigration issue is a big one. And it's a, it's a question that, you know, a lot of us, kind of struggle with and it's nuanced and it's layered and it's complex but it's like just to have the feeling you know just to be a human and have like you know empathetic feelings towards other human beings who are trying to better themselves i don't know i think it's a it's a very um it's actually very anti-american to be unwelcoming to um people who are trying to better themselves and and you know honestly um these people these migrants who are coming into our you know our city they're not like living the high life coming here they're sleeping in police stations they're not like living at the palmer house you know so for people to say like oh they're taking all the resources and giving it to them i mean these poor people aren't don't have all these resources being thrown at them right now yeah and i uh i'm gonna pick up on something you mentioned we talked about this before we went on the air uh I know you were talking to, uh, I think it was your editor or somebody, I can't remember who it was, who said that uh, he doesn't have a chance of uh, getting elected uh, president. I, I don't go that far. I take him very seriously as a political force in this country. One, because he's so rich, uh, so he can afford to buy commercials. Two, he's relentless re- and very ambitious. Uh, I, I, I teased the last time we were on the show, I, I think I get one of his emails uh, every other hour, uh, and um, he, and he's young. He's got a lot of energy. I, listen, we nobody believed Trump could get elected in 2016, so I take him seriously. Uh, and uh, he's cr- been creeping up in the polls, in the Republican pro- polls. Um, so I wouldn't be so quick to write him off as a as a force in the Republican party. And like you pointed out, he's telling MAGA exactly what it wants to hear. So at the very least, he could be a, um, uh, a, a, vi- a vice presidential choice for uh, Trump. Uh, if Trump is uh, renominated, cause he, boy, does he sing Trump's praises? He goes, I want to go further than Trump. Uh, and that's part of his rhetoric. Uh, so I'll be really curious to read your column. Looking forward to it. I know the next time you're on the show, we'll probably talk about it as well. Uh, and your interview with him, if that in fact happens. Uh, we'll close with Donald Trump and E. Jean Carroll. Uh, Romana Hussein was way ahead of the curve on this one. Uh, she's probably one of the few people in the city of Chicago who had ever heard of E. Jean Carroll before she went forward uh, with her accusations of rape against Donald Trump. She'd read E. Jean Carroll. Uh, she knew the body of her work. So shout out, Romana. Uh, most of Chicago is still trying to figure it out. Um, she prevailed. This happened since the last time we were on the show. We've talked about her tr- case. Uh, jury sided with her uh, and awarded her $5 million in uh, d- d- damages um, that Trump is supposed to pay up. Good luck collecting it from Donald Trump. Uh, she says he uh, raped her uh, in the 1990s. 
in a dressing room at Bergdorf Goodman. Uh, he said he didn't do it, and the jury basically sided with her. Uh, your general thoughts about this, Romano? Yeah, so, I mean, I guess, like, legally, so they found him, like, I guess they acquitted him on rape charges, but then they found him liable for sexual abuse and defamation. And, uh, po- you know, which, and then he was ordered to pay $5 million dollars to Eugene Caleb Carroll. And so there it was victorious because he kept, you know, and, and the sad thing is that he went on CNN after that, they had that town hall on CNN um, earlier this month and he brought, mentioned her name and then everybody started booing her. And then I think a couple of days ago, her lawyer said that, you know, that could also be seen as um, something that they could sue him for, for defamation for like, you know, you know, ragging her name in, in the streets. And yeah, I actually, I, I don't know how long Eugene Carroll was writing for Elle magazine, and that's a magazine I subscribed to since I was in my 20s, but I've been reading the magazine since, since I was 18 years old because I have to tell you, they were like one of the first magazines that actually have women of color on the cover, one of the fashion magazines on a regular basis. I'm not saying they're perfect because fashion magazines aren't perfect, like the WNBA, even though it's... A, it's an organization made up of women and with women in, you know, powerful positions. Um, but so, yeah, she's she's an advice columnist. And so I used to read her and anybody who picked knew about that magazine knew that that's what she was mostly known for. And she's written some books, too, I believe. Um, but, yeah, I, I think but I don't you know, the sad thing is, I don't think that even though Trump was found liable of sexual abuse and defamation, I don't think that deters people. I don't think that turns away his support his supporters. I, I, it doesn't matter what he does. I feel like it just emboldens him more and emboldens his supporters more. I mean, he just goes out and will, will keep saying stuff about her and then they all get, you know, boo her and cheer him on. Um, I don't know what um, will disgust his base, but it seems like it seems like anything that he does, it's just, he just uses it to attack more people and it just gives him more, you know, fuel to, to add to his fire. He's like, Oh, here's another person that I don't like and is a loser in something. And then, you know, it just adds to his quote unquote charisma. Cause I guess he has some sort of charisma or some sort of appeal to a certain group of people. And it doesn't matter what he does. Cause you know, people are always saying like CNN, like people are questioning whether CNN should have had him even on there with this audience that was obviously embracing of him and, um, you know, it just seems like it's just more of a platform for him. And it's not like something where he's just someone with a different, you know, view of things. This is someone who's actually spreading misinformation and using saying the lies are facts. And so that's very dangerous. And so I don't know. I, I just feel like it doesn't matter what he says. It, it, some people in this country and too many people, I think, really think he's like, this the savior which is actually very sad and says a lot about what our country represents amen to that uh yeah i uh you're right it uh i'm sure it won't deter maga it'll they'll it'll just fire them up even more um but i have to believe this sounds like a conversation we were having uh in 2020 i have to believe that a majority of americans uh, are turned off by it to put it mildly uh, and it will work against him in a general election. Yeah, maybe. And, but the thing is, it's like, yeah. it's the majority, but I feel like it's close to almost a half of Americans who still like him. And and that's too much, personally. 
Yeah, listen, you you won't get an argument from me that front. I'm still mad at the 48% of Chicago that voted for Vallis. I still don't know what he was a MAGA sympathizer. So don't, I'm with you 100% on that. I'm just saying that I believe the little shred of hope I have is that the number of people who are turned off by his his whole his whole persona as uh, a man who is not afraid to grab a woman by her private parts and let her know who's the boss. I would I think that the majority of Americans oppose that and are turned off by that. But you're right; it's way too close. Uh, it's way, way too close. Um, and so, yes, it's very scary. Uh, all right. Let's uh, close with something resembling pleasantry. Uh, it's been a lot of gloom and doom. Uh, any recommendations you want to make, uh, Ramana? No, I, I'm very behind on my watching. I mean, I still want to. What I, so I just started Beef. Um, I know like 100 years after everybody else did. Um, I'm on episode three. And like I said, I'm only slow because um, I'm watching with my husband and he's he only would watch to watch shows on the weekend. So if we have something going on in the weekend, nothing's getting watched. So I want to watch that. And there are some other shows I want to watch, too. Um, someone told me that Jury Duty on Hulu is actually very, very funny. Uh, someone was telling me the other day and I heard about it on a podcast. So I might check that out. Maybe I'll watch that on my own. Um, and I, I do want to watch Air, um, the film about Nike and my, you know Michael Jordan and you know shoe deal. Um, I, I'm kind of excited about that. Um, but I, there's a couple other things I want to because you know I've been reading about things and you know you know people are starting to write about like the summer movies that are coming up and you know what we should look forward to. So I'm sure I'll have more fresh recommendations next time. But yeah, so far. I'm watching beef. I finally finished the last of us after like three months. It was like a 10 episode <laughs> show and it took me like three months to watch because again, I was watching with my husband. Oh, so, <laughs> so, but yeah, but, but I, I am watching, I am watching succession. I don't know if you have been, I know you stopped watching, but it got really good. I mean, the last episode was about elections and how um, the press when calling elections kind of has like influence on, um, you know, on a lot of things. I, I thought it was, I, I mean, there's definitely parts of the show that just go over my head. I'm like, what were they talking about? Because it's so insider businessy thing, but um, there's a lot of, um, I think, I think the acting's really good. So this is the last season. There's only a couple more episodes. And as I told you before, I'm also watching yellow jackets, which I love. So I, I do watch yellow jackets in succession every week because those those you can't really binge. They just um, drop one episode and yeah. Ted Lasso is the other thing that I'm watching. And so Ted Lasso, Succession and Yellow Jackets, which I've talked about in the show. So I apologize to the listeners. I know I've talked, but those are the ones, the steady ones that I'm watching right now. All right. It is kind of sad that uh, <laughs> I have finished beef before you. Uh, you're like I said last time, you're just, you're, you're a really good sport. Uh <laughs> He put up, I love Mick to death, but man, oh man, <laughs> the beef is, is, I really, I can't wait to talk to you about it. I think it's outstanding TV. Uh, and I enjoyed the ride a lot. And the last episode, uh, man, I'd love to get your, uh, thoughts on the last episode. And yes, I too have heard of jury duty. Someone recommended it to me uh, to watch. So I'll be watching that, but I'm, I'm, I'm like Mick, uh, every night pretty much tied to that 
uh, boob tube watching NBA basketball. Uh, and so I, I know folks who are going, wait a minute, Ben, you were, you started off by ripping the WNBA, uh, for its, uh, absurd policies toward a player's pregnancies. Uh, and now you end up by saying you're addicted to basketball. Yes, it's true. I am addicted to basketball. Yeah, I always, but I, I always tell Mick yeah. that. Like he's always telling me like about how so and so and the sports world is bad, and I'm not going to watch this anymore. And then I'm like, uh, which sports franchise doesn't have something evil attached to it? Like you know, he tells me he doesn't like the NFL. I'm like, well, you like college football, and <laughs> that feeds to the, that feeds into the NFL. So yeah. you hating the NFL doesn't really do anything because you still yeah. you know. So I don't know. Everything yeah, has something no. evil attached to it, sadly. Yeah, we struggle. We all struggle to be consistent in life. And sometimes we achieve consistency and many times we do not. All right, Romana, uh, thank you so much uh, for uh, taking time to talk to me. And I really look forward to uh, your column, which we uh, by the time you hear this, ladies and gentlemen, it'll be on the street. Uh, and I know you and I will be talking about it next time you're on. So uh, looking forward to that. All right. Thanks. All right, that's great. Roman Hussein, I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. Bye.